Well, good morning, everybody. How are you? Good. Ah, awesome. Thank you for asking. I kind of want to start today the way we left off last day by saying, welcome to a home away from home. It's good that you're here. Whether you believe like I believe or not, whether you think the way that I think or not, it's good you're here. And it wouldn't be the same without you. I'm going to start today off with an excerpt from John Ortberg's book, The Life You Always Wanted. He tells a story of Leon, Joseph, and Clyde. All three were psychiatric patients at a hospital in Ypsilanti, Michigan. Each of them maintained that he was the reincarnation of Jesus Christ. Each one believed that he was the central figure around whom the world revolved. Psychologist Milton Rockich worked with these men and he wrote a book about the experience called The Three Christs of Ypsilanti. In the book, he shares of his attempts to help these men come to grips with the truth about themselves and learn to just be Leon, Joseph, and Clyde. He spent two years working with the men. To try to help these men come to grips with the reality of who they really were, Rockich decided to try an experiment. He put the three men into one small group. For two years, they were assigned adjacent beds, ate every meal together, worked together at the same job, and met daily for group discussions. His hope was that by rubbing up against each other, their delusion might be diminished. It was a kind of messianic 12-step recovery group. The experiment led to some interesting conversations. One of the men would claim, I'm the Messiah, the Son of God. I am on a mission. I was sent here to save the earth. How do you know, the doctor would ask. God told me. And one of the other patients would counter, I never told you any such thing. <laughs> Delusions of grandeur. Delusions. I bring that up because we've been talking about this guy who lived about 3,100 years ago, a guy by the name of Samuel. It's amazing that even though he lived 3,100 years ago, there's some timelessness to his story. Like his culture was different than our culture. Uh, his geography was different than our geography. His climate was different than our climate. And yet there's timelessness to the story that took place centuries ago. And I guess you might call that the human condition. We have that in common. And so the story that took place centuries ago with a man named Samuel can actually inspire our story, can actually instruct our story, can actually inform our story. And so we were talking about how Samuel, when he was just a little boy, four, maybe five years old, he was tr dropped off at the temple in Shiloh. Now Shiloh was the religious capital of Israel for about 300 years before the religious capital got moved to Jerusalem, okay? So S Samuel, as a little boy, is dropped off to be cared for, to be mentored by the head priest in Shiloh, a man by the name of Eli. Now, very briefly last week, we met Eli's two sons. Really briefly, actually. All we read about Eli's two sons last week is that Eli's sons were scoundrels, which is such a cool word, you scoundrel. Okay, so we're gonna, we're gonna kinda see what exactly that means. What did it mean that Eli, Eli's sons were scoundrels? So we continue in 1 Samuel chapter 2, starting at verse 12. Eli's own sons were a bad lot. They didn't know God. They knew about God, but they didn't know God. You okay? It's tough. Someone fell back there. You good? Okay. Oh, is this your phone? 
Eli's own sons were a bad lot. I want to say that again anyways. I like that. They're a bad lot. They didn't know God, and they could not have cared less about the customs of priests among the people. Ordinarily, when someone offered a sacrifice. Now, I want to just set the context for you a little bit. This is back in the days of the Old Testament. In the Old Testament days, people brought an animal sacrifice to the temple to atone for their sins. Okay, it was a system of atonement. Okay, this was before Jesus stepped into human history. When Jesus Christ stepped into human history, he came to offer atonement once and for all. But this is, this is in the days of animal sacrifice, okay? When someone offered a sacrifice, the priest servant was supposed to come up, and while the meat was boiling, stab a three-pronged fork into the cooking pot. The priest then got whatever came up in the fork. But this is how Eli's sons treated all the Israelites who came to Shiloh to offer sacrifices to God. Before they had even burned the fat to God, the priest servant would interrupt whoever was sacrificing and say, hey, hand over some of that meat for the priest to roast. He doesn't like boiled meat. He likes his rare. If the man objected, first let the fat be burned, God's portion, then take all you want. The servant would demand, no, I want it now. If you won't give it, I'll take it. It was a horrible sin that these young servants were committing and giving and right in the presence of God, desecrating the holy offerings to God. Eli's sons were ripping off the people and sleeping with the women who helped out at the sanctuary. So the question is, what is their problem? What's your problem? It's weird to know how in our culture that's not a question, is it? If I look at you and say, what's your problem? I'm not really asking a question, I'm making a statement. If I say, what's your problem? I'm saying, you have a problem. <clears throat> you are a problem. I find your existence problematic. But, 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 but let's imagine for a second that we're actually asking the question, what is their problem? Now, this story is way out of our context. It's way different than our experience, but I think the answer is pretty simple. What is their problem? The answer is simple. The answer is their problem is pride. It's just pride. Pride is a delusion. Pride is a delusion. Pride is delusional thinking where we elevate our status, our position, our privilege, to a place that is not proper, to a place that is not real. Let me say that again. Uh, Pride is a delusion where we elevate our status, our privilege, and our position to a place that is not proper, to a place that is not real. Quite literally, by the way, pride is the oldest sin in the book. Way back when, here's God (laughs) in charge of everything, and in heaven, here's Lucifer. And Lucifer says, I would like to elevate my position to a place that is not proper above God. And pride got Lucifer kicked out of heaven. It's pride largely, by the way, that commits Adam and Eve to uh, eat the forbidden fruit in the Garden of Eden. The serpent comes to Eve and says, hey, if you eat this fruit, you'll be just like God. Pride. Pride's a delusion where we elevate our position, our status, our status or our privilege to a place that is not proper, to a place that is not real. And what's so odd about it is that it doesn't work. Like, pride promises us that we will lift ourselves up, but actually what happens in pride is we bring ourselves low. 
You've seen it. You've watched it play out in people's lives. Pride promises to elevate, but in reality, it decimates. Proverbs 29 says this, a man's pride will bring him low. A man's pride will bring him low, but a humble spirit will obtain honor. Pride's a delusion, how's it working? Well, I, I guess you could look at the three Christs of Ypsilanti as an example, not good. You say, well, it's nothing. What do you mean, those, 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 those guys are mentally ill, they're deluded. Yeah, they're deluded. And pride is a delusion that we all struggle with. I can prove that you might struggle with pride a little bit because if you've been sitting here today and thinking to yourself, man, Mike's talking about pride, I wish Fred could hear this. I wish Fred Rica could hear this. I wonder, it, there's no one in the world named Fred Rica. Does anybody here know anyone named Fred Rica? Okay, good, I, I guess I'll, oh, you do. Liar, you liar. <laughs> But, but if you're sitting and thinking about all the people you would like to hear it, you probably have a problem with pride. The problem with pride is that it overpromises and underdelivers. It promises to lift us up. It's delusional. It promises to lift us up, but it actually brings us down. So I want to address it today. I want to talk about three graduating levels of pride from, from the least serious to the most serious. So we're going to talk about entry-level pride first, and then we'll get to graduate-level pride last, okay? <clears throat> entry-level pride. Step one. Entry-level pride is called vanity. Vanity. How do you know that you might struggle with vanity? Well, you're a human being. So you probably are tempted to struggle with vanity. Uh, you look at a picture, a group picture that you're in, and you look at who first? You. Maybe initially, maybe even exclusively at yourself. I remember about a year after Corinne and I got married, we drove from Abbotsford uh, to Red Deer to visit friends and family, and one of the people we visited was one of Corinne's bridesmaids. And, and when we got to her house, this was about a year after we got married, when we got to her house, we were so honored and so happy to see that this particular bridesmaid had, had taken a wedding picture. So Corinne and me, all the bridesmaids, all the groomsmen, she had taken a picture and she had had it blown up big. Like I mean big, five times bigger than any of the pictures that Corinne and I got made of our own wedding. She had this massive picture and she put it on the wall of her living room right, right above the couch. And there was two things that we noticed about that picture right away. Number one, this particular bridesmaid, she looked awesome in this picture. Like, I mean beautiful. I would suggest to you that it probably still goes down as one of the top three pictures that she has ever taken. Just beautiful, stunning, amazing. The second thing we noticed is that the rest of us did not look stunning. We did not look amazing or beautiful at all. Did I mention it was Corinna Mai's wedding? Yeah, okay, so for me in that particular picture, my eyes were closed and I was doing this. Okay? Corinne was turned talking to somebody. One of my groomsmen was picking their nose. Okay? This is the best part. When we drew this to the attention of this particular bridesmaid, it became very evident, not that she didn't care. She had never even noticed. She chose that picture she got that picture blown up to wall size. She looked at it, walked past it for a year. She had never even noticed. That's vanity. Um, vanity is when you use any reflective surface available to check yourself out. 
you know? A freshly washed car, you're all about it. You know, you, you, any mirror, you walk by a storefront with glass and you act like you're looking at the, you know, you're walking by a toy store and you act like you're looking at the G.I. Joe, but you're not looking at the G.I. Joe, you're looking at Y.O.U. and you're thinking, I am looking so good today. That's vanity. Vanity is going to the gym and spending more time taking mirror selfies than actually exercising. That's vanity. Vanity's hilarious. The problem is, it's entry-level pride. And pride is delusional. And it promises to lift you up, but it actually brings you down. Um, vanity is entry-level pride because it's just the ability, the, the, the beginning of um, focusing more on myself than everybody else. So how do you combat it? I'm just going to give you two ways to, to, uh, to combat vanity. Here's the first one. Laugh at yourself more. Laugh at yourself more. Here's the truth. You're hilarious. The things you say, some of the things you do, some of the mistakes you make are truly funny. You should laugh at yourself way more than you do because you're hilarious. You say, well, I don't really want to laugh at myself, Mike, at some of my failings because then everybody will realize I'm not perfect. Let me help you with that. We've already figured that out. <laughs> we already understand some of your weaknesses. We're just waiting to find out whether you understand them so that we can all laugh at them together. And guess what happens when we, when, when, when we, when we take the time to laugh a little bit at ourselves? We connect more in, our, more in our imperfections than we do in our perceived, our claimed perfection. So laugh at yourself a little bit more. Here's the second way to combat vanity. Um, Worry, worry more about knowing others than being known yourself. Worry more about making others known than being known yourself. Let other people shine. I heard someone say once that humility isn't thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. That's brilliant. Because I want to be really clear here today, I'm not standing up here going, hey, let's all be insecure, because insecurity is so awesome. Like, it's really, really great to be insecure. People think that insecurity and pride are the opposites. No, not at all. Pride and insecurity are linked in, the, in, in, in this family called self-absorption. I'm not suggesting we become insecure. I'm not suggesting that we become humiliated. What I am suggesting is that we become humble completely secure that God loves us and has an incredible plan for our lives so we can worry less about being known and worry more about knowing others and making others known. Let them shine. Because pride's a delusion. You think it's going to lift you up, but it actually brings you down. And vanity is entry-level Pride. The, the next step in, in, in kind of the pride journey, if I could be so bold as to call it a pride journey, would be stubbornness. Let's talk about stubbornness for a second. I'm going to give you a few ways you can recognize if you're stubborn. One of the ways, and this might sound kind of obvious, but I should probably bring it up. One of the ways that you could recognize if you have a problem with being stubborn is that you're Dutch. Okay, so, uh, no. oh no. I got an amen there. He woke up. Thank you for waking up. I appreciate that. Uh, I am actually Dutch. Before anyone gets upset with me, I do actually have a stubborn streak, interestingly, and every Dutch person I've ever met does. In fact, we all have a stubborn streak. 
We all do. So I want to give you a few ways you can recognize if stubbornness has become a problem for you. Here's the first way. Um, you, you don't take any suggestions from anyone. Because listen to this. Uh, you think the only good ideas are your ideas. You see the progression? So, so, so vanity was just, uh, just, just a little more focusing on myself than everybody else. And now you've stepped into stubbornness where you actually start to think the only good idea is your idea. So if somebody says, hey man, you gotta go watch this movie, subconsciously you think to yourself, if it was such a good movie, I would have figured it out on my own. Because the only good idea is my idea. If someone says, man, you, you gotta listen to this song, you subconsciously think to yourself, nah, if it was a good song, I would have found it. Stubbornness. The only good idea is my idea. If someone comes up to you and says, hey, uh, your clothes, uh, not great. You know, when you were seven, you, every day you would wear sweatpants and tuck your hockey jersey into your sweatpants every day. And it's 15 years later, man, and you're 22 and you're still wearing sweatpants with your hockey jersey tucked into it every day. Not so cool anymore. <clears throat> but you don't listen. Because the only good idea is your idea. They're wrong. Remember about 10 years ago, Corinne came to me. She said, uh, I'm actually going to start picking your clothes. I was like, sweetheart, that's, like, that, that's nice of you and all, but wouldn't that be kind of a waste of your time? You know, like, obviously, like, I'm unreal at fashion and, and picking my own clothes, so I just don't know why we'd, you'd waste your time. And she said, you're, you're not unreal at fashion and picking your clothes. You're horrible at it. I was like, oh, that's yeah, cute, Corinne, but, but actually, like, I'm, I'm really awesome at it. She said, well, here's what you need to do, Mike. Just go talk to a few people and ask them if you're unreal at picking clothes, if you're a fashion icon. I'm like, okay, I can do that. It's just gonna humiliate you in the end, Corinne, but okay, I'll do it. So I went to 10, maybe 12 people, and I asked them a very simple, non-leading question. I just said, do you not agree that I'm awesome at fashion? Okay, so like a completely neutral question, and, uh, and I asked like 12 people, and it was unanimous. Corinne started picking my clothes, okay? But, but, but stubborn people don't take suggestions because the only good idea is your idea. So if someone says to you, you should listen a little bit more and talk a little bit less. <laughs> you don't care. What do they know? So you go into meetings and you talk 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 until people are nodding off and playing Candy Crush and you think it's their issue. <clears throat> Second way to tell stubbornness might be a problem for you is you can't remember the last time you've issued a sincere thank you or a sincere apology. Stubborn people don't like to give credit and they don't like to take blame. They don't like to give credit and they don't like to take blame. Stubbornness might be an issue for you if you can't remember the last time you've issued a sincere thank you or a sincere I'm sorry. I mentioned sincere because not like, you know, your mom says, thank your brother for giving you a cookie. And you go, well, thank you. You know, I don't mean that. That was a horrible mom voice that I just used. Like, <laughs> I hope your mom doesn't sound like that. That would be nightmarish. But, but, but you know what I'm getting at, right? Like, and not just a thank you in passing, but looking someone in the eye and saying, hey, 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 thank you. Like, thank you so much. And, and you notice I mentioned a sincere I'm sorry. Our culture is bizarre. Like, like listening to the way people apologize without apologizing lately. Have you heard it? Here's one. Very simple. I'm sorry that you feel that way. I don't know what that means. Do you? 
You know, I'm sorry when I spoke out of the purest of motives that somehow your twisted psyche got to the point where you extrapolated into a situation where I might have actually said something wrong and if it kind of made you feel in your weakness and your fallibility wrong, I'm sorry you feel that way. Cool, what I mean by I'm sorry is I mean you look in the eye and you go, I'm really, really sorry. Period. And if you're looking at me right now saying, I can't remember the last time I said that I was sorry because here's the truth, Mike, I, <clears throat> I haven't really owed anyone an apology for as long as I can remember. You've already, reached level, you've already reached level three of pride and I'll talk to you a little bit more about that in a second. But the third way to realize stubbornness might be a problem for you is that you just get into stupid arguments. You'll argue anything. I, got, I found a billboard that I think says it pretty well. Um, this year, thousands of men will die from stubbornness. <laughs> I, just, I really want to know if that guy spray painted that like as a joke or... Um, Yeah, you get, you, you, you get into dumb arguments. Like, you, you get partway into an argument, you know you're wrong, but you keep going because you'd rather be right than get it right. You literally feel like you're the smartest person in every room that you walk into. And by the way, if you feel like you're the smartest person in every room you walk into, you probably need to find some different rooms. But, but basically what's happened is you become a know-it-all. And the really, really sad thing about know-it-alls is that uh, all you know right now is all you're ever going to know. When I was growing up, every time our family would go out to eat, every time, whether it was breakfast, lunch, or supper, if my parents didn't stop me beforehand, when the waiter or the waitress would come up, I would say, whether it was breakfast, lunch, or supper, can I please have a hamburger and a grape pop? Every day, and, and to be honest with you, if I had it my way, I would still have a hamburger and a grape pot for every single meal. It's fantastic. But what I've been trying to do lately a little bit is I've been trying to step back and let other people choose a little bit. I've been trying, right? And, and you know what I found out? People actually cook vegetables, and sometimes, sometimes they taste not bad. It's, it's amazing. But, but I really do want to talk to you about how you defeat stubbornness, how you become teachable, Expand your world. Here's the first. Take someone else's advice. I don't mean when they say go play in traffic. I don't mean that. I mean like, I don't know, when you're with a group and someone suggests a restaurant, go to that restaurant or a movie, go to that movie or a playlist, listen to that playlist. <clears throat> the second way to do it is to uh, seek first to understand and then to be understood. Seek first to understand and then to be understood. Right, because remember we talked about vanity. Vanity is like entry-level pride, and, 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 and to defeat vanity, what you, what you do is you seek first to know others rather than being known yourself. To defeat stubbornness, you seek first to understand rather than being understood. In other words, shut up. Stop talking and listen. Put your phone down and listen. Don't think about what you're gonna say next. Listen, <laughs> listen. Ask clarifying questions. You know, not arguments disguised as a question, like how can anyone with a basic education be so stupid? That's not the kind of question I'm talking about. I mean like understand, seek first to understand, you know? It's pride, it's the pride progression, entry level pride, vanity. 
you know? And then, and, and, and then we get into stubbornness. And the third and the most dangerous level, the most harmful level, is called exclusion. It's exclusion. So it started out just thinking a little bit too much of yourself. And, and then it got to the place where you thought the only good ideas were your good ideas. But now you, 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 you're at a place of exclusion where you, <clears throat> the universe now, in your mind, kind of for all intents and purposes, the universe is now boiled down to you. It's so harmful and it's so dangerous because you can live your whole life in a crowd and still be all alone. Last week we were talking about how Jesus, someone asked Jesus once, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus said, I gotta give you two. Love God with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul and love your neighbor as yourself. Exclusion is the opposite of that. What does it mean to love God with all your heart? It means that you make God your true north. You come to a place in your life where you say, God, I'm gonna make that leap of faith because you said so, I will. Exclusion True north is the person in the mirror. Loving God with all your heart means uh, God is the why behind all your what's. Exclusion says the why behind all my what's is my comfort, my ease, and my superiority. That is my driving force. And it's such a horrible place to be. You know? Because if you live your whole life with the greatest goal, the greatest aspiration, the greatest purpose of your life is to remain comfortable, you're always gonna be uncomfortable. Because that purpose, that mission, is way too small for you. It doesn't fit, it's uncomfortable. Your purpose, your mission, your plan is way, way bigger than that. And if you live your whole life trying to make life easy for you, you will always be uneasy because in the back of your mind, you will always be thinking to yourself, something, something, something's missing. Something's missing. What is it? What is it? What is it? It's adventure. It's victory. It's defeat. It's blood, sweat, and tears. It's struggle. You'll always end up uneasy if all you want to do is be easy. Or what if you live your whole life to be superior? That's such a weird one. Because if, because if you want to stay superior, you think what you're going to be doing is elevating yourself, but eventually you, you come to a place in your life if, if the only thing you want to do is maintain your own superiority, you know what you end up doing? Dragging everybody else down all the time. So how do you know if you've blown through vanity, walked through stubbornness, and now you're at a place of exclusion? Here's one. Instead of acknowledging in your life that, that God created you in his image, you've come to a place in your life now where you've created God in your image. So uh, I don't know, like, I've, I've, well, here, here's how you know you might have done that without even knowing it. You make statements that sound like this. The God I believe in would never. My God couldn't. My God wouldn't. You know, instead of saying, God, because you said so, I will, you say to God, hey, God, because I said so, you will. Another way to recognize it is if you've walked through the Bible and you've picked the parts you've liked and you discarded the parts that you don't like. You know, so you, so you come to Jeremiah 29, 11, and you take that one. Man, I love that one too, right? God says, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. And you take that one to the bank and you should, I love it. Or you get to John chapter 10, verse 10, where Jesus said, I've come that you might have life 
and have abundant life. And I love that one too. And you've taken that and you run with it. Awesome. Or you take Philippians 4.13 where God inspired the Apostle Paul to write, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's awesome. I'm glad you love that one. Me too. Man, you've taken hold of John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Wow. I'm in, man. I've spent my whole life on that. But then you get to parts of the Bible that you don't like so much. So you get to parts of the Bible that talk about God's plan for your sexuality. And you look at God and you say, that's cute. Stay in your lane. Or you flip on a little further and you get to parts of the Bible that talk about God's plan for your finances, for your blessing, for your, for, for, for your, uh, for your wealth, for your generosity. And you say, thanks for sharing. Stay in your lane. You know the problem with that is? God doesn't have a lane. God doesn't have a lane. You're back to the story in the, in, in the Old Testament where, where God is speaking to Moses out of a burning bush and, and God says, Moses, I want you to go back to Egypt and I want you to free my people from bondage. And Moses says to God, who do I tell them sent me? And God says, you tell them I am sent you. God doesn't have a lane, he is. He is. He is yesterday, today, tomorrow, and forever. He is. He is the beginning and the end. He is all-knowing. He is all-powerful. He is all-love. He is all-hope. He is all-peace. He is all-joy. He is. He doesn't have a lane. He is. And so when you roll through the Bible that way, and you go, man, I love Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans that God has for me. Plans to prosper me and not to harm me. Plans to give me a hope and a future. I am so there. But the challenge is when you throw some of the other parts out, God's way to get you to Jeremiah 29, 11 might well be the parts that you've thrown out. Do you understand? God doesn't have a lane. God is. So if you've inadvertently said to God, Instead of because you say so, I will. Because I say so, you will, God. You might have a problem with exclusion. Here's the second way. Um, you begin to look at the people around you as a means to your end. I don't know, like life is a movie about you and everybody else is a supporting actor. Life is a movie about you and everybody else plays the role of supporting actor. You, you know? Like <clears throat> years ago, they had this billboard up in Los Angeles that said, uh, you're not stuck in traffic. You are traffic. I don't necessarily completely agree with that because I don't think you are traffic, but I don't think anybody is. But if exclusion is a problem for you, all of a sudden you're looking at the world and everybody becomes traffic because they're either gonna help you or they're gonna hinder you get to where you need to go. You stop seeing them, you know? You stop seeing people. And so then you boil the world down to kind of two types of people because you gotta maintain your superiority. So two types of people, people that you gossip with or people you gossip about which is sort of an overgeneralization because uh, as if we don't gossip about the people we gossip with, but you kind of get what I'm saying. It's dangerous. Without realizing we've put ourselves on a little island, we've excluded God and we've excluded other people and here we are all by ourselves, even in a crowd. 
So how do we step out of that? I'll give you the first way, real simple, repent. Repent. Repentance just means make a course change. So man, if, if you've gotten to a place in your life and you didn't even realize it where you've said to God, because I say so, you will, you need to repent today. For, for some of you, maybe this is your first day ever in church. But there's something inside of you that drew you here today. One of the first lines that the band played, uh, sang today was this, I have a longing that goes beyond the stars. I have a longing that goes beyond the stars. I believe everybody does. I believe that deep down inside of you and deep down inside of me, there's something in us that says there's got to be more to life than this. More hope. More joy, more peace. You know what I mean? More than I'm experiencing right now. I want to tell you something, that Jesus is the more that you've been looking for all along. That's why you're here. Jesus stepped into human history and he, and he laid down his life, he died. And he, and he died to pay the penalty for all your sin and all your shame and all your guilt and all your regrets so you can get past your past. You don't have to drag that baggage around with you anymore. Today is the day you lay it down. And then he rose again, which means even the insurmountable tasks that are in front of you today, he's gonna get you through them one next step at a time. And hope for the future and the promise of eternity. And what does it require of you? Only one thing, lay down your pride, and put out your hand. That's it. I'm gonna give you a chance to do that in just a couple minutes. But I don't know how long you've been a Christian. I think for me, I've been a Christian for years and years and years and laying down my pride is something that I still have to do every day. I gotta break free of that because I say so, you will, and I gotta lay down my pride and say, God, because you say so, I will. Corinne and I got married, I was 22 years old and she was 21, we were both Christians. And the first year of our marriage, horrible, terrible. And I've explained it before by saying uh, it was my temper, it was my anger. But I've been thinking a lot about it, even as I've been preparing for today, and I think it all came from my pride. It all emanated from my pride. It started for me with vanity, you know? <clears throat> Just a little bit too focused on myself all the time. And then it morphed into stubbornness where the only good idea was my idea and I knew it, I was a know-it-all. And then it stepped into exclusion where all of a sudden I'm looking around the world and I'm saying, God's purpose and your purpose is to meet my needs to be a means to my end, even my wife. And when it didn't go my way, I got angry. I remember one day sitting in church and Pastor Vern was talking about uh, believe and be baptized, that we need to believe and be baptized, believe and be baptized. <clears throat> and, and as I sat there, I realized that I had been baptized as a little baby, which is a beautiful thing. That was, that was about my parents, but I had never believed and been baptized. You know what I'm saying? And so I, 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 I felt like God was saying, you gotta get baptized. I'm like, well, I'm 23 years old now. Like, don't people get baptized when they're like six? You know, you have all these arguments in your head and you just try to justify not. And, 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 and then I thought, now, I'll do it when I feel like it. Stubbornness, right? Uh, I don't know, my, my family won't be able to make it out for next week because the baptism was one week away, so I'm not gonna do it because my idea is a good idea and this isn't the right idea. And I, I remember God just <clears throat> kind of breaking through that and speaking to my heart and all he said was this, do you trust me? That's it, do you trust me? I was a Christian 
but I wasn't living my life in trust. I, I, I wasn't saying to God, because you say so, I will. And so I signed up, and Corinne and I got baptized the next Sunday. And I will tell you this, it was an absolute turning point in our marriage. Changed everything. Because you say so, I will. That's what baptism is, it's just a posture of humility. Saying, Jesus, I was dead in my sins and now I'm fully and completely alive in you, thank you. So I would say this, we got a baptism coming up at Southside. If, 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 you have not, if you are a Christian and you have not yet been baptized as a believer, you, you need to sign up today. It'll, it'll change your life because you say so, I will. You, you, need, you need to today, sometime, text the keyword DUNK, D-U-N-K, to 604-670-3040. See, laying down our pride is a daily thing if we want to live the life that we were intended to live. Second way to combat exclusion is be kind. Be kind. Be kind to your family, be kind to your friends, be kind to people that you don't even know yet, be kind. Everyone you know is fighting a great battle. Everyone you know is fighting a great battle and they matter, so see them, see them, see them. Be kind. Everyone you know is fighting a great battle. And the third way to, comp- to combat exclusion would just be this, serve. Serve. Jesus said you want to be great. You should want to be great. You should want to be great. You want to be great? Jesus said the path to greatness is service. So if you're here and if, if, if you've been here for a while, what I mean by that is if it's your second time at Southside or your third or beyond, you need to be serving. If it's your first time, you can wait till next time to sign up. But you, but, but you need to text SERVE to 604-670-3040. You know it takes hundreds of people to make church work, right? And when I say that, you might be thinking that I'm laying a guilt trip going, oh, we need so much help. No, 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 you need help. What I'm saying when I say it takes hundreds of people to make church work, what I'm saying is we can find room for you. The path to greatness is service. And so all of a sudden what happens is when you serve, you all of a sudden realize you get way more than you give. And my prayer for everybody that serves at Southside has always been this, that that, 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 that that humility of heart, that love, that that selflessness would translate not just to church, but to family and friends, and it'll change your life. So if you're not serving, text serve, 604-670-3040. Pride, it's, it's a delusion, and it's dangerous. Entry-level pride is uh, vanity. The way to defeat it Worry not so much about being known as you worry about knowing and making others known. The, the next step is stubbornness. The only good idea is your idea. The way to combat that is seek first to understand and then to be understood. And listen, exclusion, you know how you beat it? Seek first to love. Love God, love others, and then worry about being loved. Let's pray. So I'm just gonna ask you f- just to take a time of personal reflection. Bow your heads and close your eyes. I want to talk to you first today if God drew you here and you tried to do it on your own but there's been this little thing in the back of your head that says, man, I I need more than this world has to offer. I, I, I need more than I can do on my own. That's God calling you. 
I'm telling you that God sent his son Jesus into human history for you. He died so that you can get past your past. He rose again so that you can have strength for today, hope for tomorrow, and the promise of eternity. And all you gotta do is lay down your pride and say, Jesus, save me. So if that's you today, and you realize that Jesus is the more that you've been looking for, with all heads bowed and all eyes closed, just raise your hand right now so I can pray for you. Nice and high, please. That's awesome. Awesome. Wow. Okay, you can put your hands down. There's a second group I wanna talk to. You're a Christian. Been a Christian for weeks, months, years, I don't know. But you realize that today, God's asking you again to lay down your pride, to make a statement to him that says, Jesus, because you say so, I will. I'm gonna trust you every day. I'm not gonna kinda slide into vanity or stubbornness or even exclusion. So if that's you today, no matter how long you've been a Christian, just raise your hand because I also want to pray for you right now. That's awesome. Awesome. You put your hands down. Let's pray. So God, first for the first group that put up their hands, I want to pray on their behalf so Jesus, we come to you. Thank you that you stepped into human history and you saved us because we needed to be saved. Thank you that you're the more that we've been looking for all along. So Jesus, today I ask you to be my savior. I pray that you would forgive all my sins. <clears throat> I put down all the baggage and all the guilt and all the regret, and I wanna take a, a fresh start today, thank you. And today, Jesus, I invite you to be my Lord. I pray that you would give me the strength to follow you one next step at a time to a life worth living that starts now and stretches into eternity. And God, for the rest of us, I guess we're just here, God, to say thank you that you love us so much and you're so patient with us. And we just make the statement, God, because you say so, we will. We will follow you. We will trust you. One step, one step, one step at a time. Because you're great. And you're good. And you're with us. And you're for us. And we're thankful. And we pray in your name. Everybody said. Amen. I love you guys a lot. God bless you. Thanks for joining us. We'd love to see you at any of our three Sunday services held at Sardis Secondary School on Stevenson Road in Chilliwack, British Columbia. For more information, please visit southsidelife.com.